Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 252 being recorded on Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. In this week's episode, we are going to do a deep dive into a trend uh, that I've been really fascinated by, and we've touched on it on the show a little bit last year. Um, that trend is that there are a number of firms that are acquiring, or some would say rolling up, Amazon FBA-based businesses. Sometimes I've heard these called Amazon roll-ups, FBA roll-ups, um, uh, what have you. And cumulatively, if I'm doing my math right, these firms have raised about a billion dollars now with this strategy globally. Um, there's several in the U.S., and there's some rolling across Europe and, and other areas. Um, so it's really interesting, uh, and I get a lot of questions from um, because uh, one of the founders of Channel Advisor, I get uh, a lot of questions from Amazon FBA sellers. Hey, Scott, what do you think about this, and how do I sell my business for a crazy high valuation? So we're going to dig into that in this week's episode, and to walk us through it, we're really excited to have one of the CEOs of one of these companies. We have Chris Bell, and he is the CEO of Perch. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Nice to be here. Chris, we are thrilled to have you here because uh, one of Scott's favorite topics is to talk about Amazon. So if we don't have enough Amazon shows, he starts to get antsy. So I totally appreciate you uh, accommodating us. But before we jump into Amazon, we always like to get a little bit of background about our, our guests. And uh, you you uh, came to Perch in a pretty cool e-commerce way. So can you tell us a little bit about what you did prior to Perch? Definitely. Yeah. So... I started my career early on. I was a computer engineer, actually. And I, uh, my first job was at General Electric uh, out in Milwaukee, designing and implementing software. Um, I did that for a bit. And then I actually went into sales. I wanted to go get uh, a bit more in touch with the customer. So I sold copiers and software for a couple of years, which was a great um, But eventually wanted to do something a little bit more thought-provoking. Um, so I went to business school at Carnegie Mellon. After that, I went to Bain & Company, which was a book brought me to Boston about 11 years ago. Um, I was at Bain for six and a half years. And while at Bain, I spent about a third of my time in the private equity group, where I worked on over 40 transactions with leading private equity institutions globally. And then the other two thirds of my time, I worked with most companies driving organic growth. So mostly helping them understand their customers and then um, doing whatever we could to drive growth from um, sales perspectiveness, pricing, products, marketing, um, customer service, anything like that. And then after six and a half years of Bain, I wanted to go build something. And at that point, I was looking at think about something and Wayfair came along and asked me to come and build their North American supply chain, which um, was really amusing, but also enticing. It was amusing because I had no supply chain experience. And uh, I actually tried to back out of the interview process. I just thought they had the wrong guy. It was, you know, this must be a mistake. Um, and they convinced me, and because all my work previous, I've been in sales, I've worked mostly on organic growth, customer-led growth, as we called it, and 
Um, and all I talked about was the customer. And they said, exactly. You know, for e-commerce, supply chain is the key to the customer. If you think about um, why people buy, they showed me some NPS data, which is a, best, it's a measure of customer process. And 50% of all of their uh, comments, positive or negative, related to the supply chain. Did it show up on time? Was it broken? Even more so for Wayfair, because heavy, bulky things, people are entering your house, putting that garbage in your, in your uh, living room or the, be- or the bed in your bedroom. And uh, so I got really excited about about this customer vision. And just honestly, Wayfair and the team there uh, was amazing. So I joined Wayfair in 2016. And in three and a half years, we opened 50 buildings across North America, 42 final mile centers, eight sort centers. It was an absolutely crazy, amazing time. Um, it, when I left, it was about a $3 billion supply chain. And my favorite factoid is when I joined Wayfair, on average, it took 27 days from click to deliver for a heavy bulky item. So if you ordered, for example, a couch on Wayfair, 27 days later, it would be in your living room. And when I left, we were doing two-day delivery of couches, hot tubs, and vanities. And so we were kind of Amazon priming the heavy bulky space and all of the conversion lift and customer satisfaction lift and repeat lift that you might expect from a lot of fun. And then near the end of that time, Wayfair is a great company. I really enjoyed the time. I learned a lot. Had a lot of fun getting into supply chain and, and building that. But I really wanted to go build something. And I started looking around, um, talking with a lot of entrepreneurs in the Boston area. And, I, you know, honestly, just kind of fell into this space. I got really enthralled with on here. Back then, you know, rolling up Amazon businesses was not really that big of a thing. Um, there's really only one other person that, that I knew of doing it. And um, and as I thought about both the opportunity and just, you know, you guys know this, but from the outside, when you're looking at Amazon, you hear it's big, but you just don't realize how gargantuan this <laughs> this thing is. And you start getting into it. And I started, I went to a conference in New York and talked with some entrepreneurs that were doing this. And one, I just, I thought they were awesome, right? Just really true entrepreneurs, bootstrapped their company, put their own money into it um, and had built something really interesting. And, um, and differentiated. And then two, it felt like a perfect mix or, or match from my background. I've done a lot of M&A, a lot of experience in e-commerce, a lot of experience in supply chain, which is a common pain point for many small product companies. And um, so I jumped in and started. That's awesome, Chris. Two quick things for our listeners, for our millennial listeners and our Gen Z listeners. Uh, a copy machine is back in the day... Um, people used to record ideas on dead trees, and sometimes you'd need a copy of the dead tree so uh, you could actually make a machine that duplicated the dead tree. Which, that's right. That's a, that's a great summary. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, totally here for you. And then, uh, obviously, Scott kind of um, uh, spilled the beans about what Perch is about, uh, but maybe to uh, just get a, a little bit more clarification, um, when you say FBA sellers, you are talking about uh, businesses that focus on selling on the Amazon marketplace and generally use FBA for fulfillment. That's correct. Yeah, we are today focused on Amazon third-party marketplace sellers. And you're right, they generally use FBA. And you know, probably for you and your listeners, you understand the difference between FBA and marketplace and not all marketplace sellers are sellers. But find more broadly that difference is lost on people. So you're right. Some might incorrectly call them FBA sellers um, for common understanding. Sure. Uh, we think, oh, go ahead. No, I was just curious. In general, um, do, do you care if they're using 
FB, like, so in general, you have to use FBA to be particularly successful on the Amazon marketplace. So I imagine you're mostly interested in successful sellers and that, and FBA is kind of a, um, a, a tactic that correlates strongly with successful sellers. But like, do you actually care? Like if, if there was a good business that, that had a good run rate and was, um, you know, doing their own fulfillment and, uh, like somehow miraculously was winning even without FBA, like, do you, is there some secret sauce to FBA as far as you're concerned? No, uh, not at all. We generally, you're right. Most people who have what we call winning products, which is what we look for um, in, in our diligence, are in FBA, um, but they're not all in FBA. And like you you said, you, oftentimes you get a bit of a thumb on the scale, but we have looked at seller fulfilled prime products. We've looked at companies that um, just do seller fulfillment without seller fulfilled prime, especially in the heavy bulky space. Um, and, and again, you can win there because Amazon doesn't um, give you as much of a thumb on the scale for the heavy bulky stuff. They don't really want that in their fulfillment centers. So in general, we're looking for great companies with great products that are winning within their niche. And you know, 90% of the time they're in FBA, but it's, it's not. Yeah. And I imagine when you do look at a, a, a vendor that specializes in big and bulky, it starts bringing back all of your, uh, your Wayfair vibes. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I love the big and bulky space and I think it's an interesting, um, spot for two reasons. One, um, you know, you, you can have an opportunity to differentiate yourself a little bit more on the fulfillment side, given Amazon doesn't play as well in that space. And then two, we actually find those spaces to be less competitive just because of the working capital requirements. You know, you can sell $10 widgets, uh, with pretty low working capital. And so we, we generally find those are much more competitive sales niches and if you get into a 200 dollars kayak um there's just less people who want to sell that thing and therefore you get a mildly less competitive space we would love to be more in that space yeah i mean uh i always like to say well if it was easy ebay would be doing it so um no i'm telling my friends at ebay i'm just kidding uh i'm rooting for you um the (laughs) the uh it's funny i used to like people used to always ask like what's the the category that Amazon isn't winning at that you could kind of compete where there's a white space. And every time I think of one, it eventually gets eliminated, right? So originally it was big and bulky items. And then it was like uh, live plants. And as you may know, they have a pretty robust live plant business now. Um, and so I was for a while saying like personalized products. And now they're, they're, they're launching made to order uh, apparel. So it's like, you can't win. It's just a matter of when they, they get around to, to focusing on on the particular problem that you're good at solving. Uh, I do want to dive in a little bit more on your criteria for, for a company that might fit in your portfolio. But before I do, uh, we did hit on Wafer a little bit. Like, is there, it seems like they've had a really good run as a result of COVID. Is there any, uh, uh, do you still have a lot of friends there? Is there any remorse about not being in that space at the moment? I do have a lot of friends there and I think they're doing some amazing things. Um, but no remorse at all. I mean, if Perch, maybe if Perch wasn't going as well as it is, I might be looking back and uh, and wondering. But this has been an absolutely amazing time, and we are growing really quickly. And we've been lucky enough to attract an amazing team. And so um, I'm having the time of my life. So no, no regrets at all. Very cool. And then um, let me make sure I understand the founding story. So you were 
did you get recruited by a VC or this was like your, your, your kind of had this idea and you went out and, and got funding and, and launched it? Yeah, much more the latter. I had, um, I'd spent some time talking with a whole bunch of entrepreneurs around Boston and I met a couple of folks who were not in this exact space, but kind of in the Amazon space more broadly. And, um, and so kind of, you know, edged my way into it that way. Um, and then, uh, yeah, kind of circled on the idea, ended up talking to a bunch of friends and, and coworkers, talked to like Neeraj, the CEO and founder of Wayfair about it, um, talked to Kane, the COO of Wayfair, us there about it. Um, and, uh, you know, and kind of circled around different ways. Like you, you can see the problem, which is consumer products eventually is a game of scale, right? Procter & Gamble, Unilever, all these companies, they are huge and they are highly acquisitive because scale matters. You can get um, cost advantage on the supply chain. You can get access to capital, access to talent, access to other channels. Part of the reason why all these entrepreneurs are on Amazon is because Amazon's done such an amazing job of lowering the barriers to entry. But so many other channels have such high barriers to entry in other markets. You know, 75% of the companies we've acquired only sell in the U.S. because one, the working capital putting inventory in two places, but two, honestly, it's just a big pain to register to sell in the EU and UK. It took us four months to get our VAT numbers. Um, yeah, and, so, and uh, Brexit Brexit doubled the work. So oh my Brexit God. is good for it's such, yeah, <laughs> it's We're still talking to UPS about shipping things from the EU to the UK, and they still aren't sure how to get it done quite yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so we saw the problem, and I so I um, luckily because I've been in Boston for eleven years, being at Bain. And being in and around this space, I have a lot of uh, friends in VC and private equity and, um, and also just in the space. Like, I know a couple of people who have software companies in the space. And so I, I just went around and talked to all of them and said, hey, you know, what do you think? And a lot of people said, hey, build software, right? That's what everybody should do. You should go build some B2B SaaS software and like try to compete with Tachometrics or Quartile or not even compete with them, right? But try to solve these problems through software only. I just kept coming around to, if the real thing we're trying to build is scale, the only way to build scale is to build scale. Like real scale economics, if you are buying a billion dollars of raw materials a year, and we're not there yet, but that's what we're getting to. And you can't do that. You can't fake that. You actually have to be buying a lot of textiles and a lot of plastic. And that's when you get the real scale economics. And so kept coming back to this. And then it's also the other part of the story that I find uh, interesting is as you guys alluded to, this is a super popular space, you know, billion dollar plus raised. You know, I saw something that said 30 or 40 entrants. When I launched Perch, I probably had 50 investor conversations and 49 of them were like, yeah, kind of a weird idea, but you know, you probably make some money, but not for us. And luckily Alex at Spark saw it, right? He just, he got it and he was super excited and we kind of really quickly from meeting term sheets. But, it was not easy. It was really like it was a really not easy path to raise money for this a year and a half ago. And now it seems like everybody's still glad with what we did because we got a head start and we're pretty clearly ahead kind of everybody in this space but one, um, which we're enjoying and we were trying to expand uh, that lead. But it's uh, it's it's just funny how quickly things shift in this yeah, I feel your pain. When I had a SaaS company, uh, we were like one of the first three and everyone said it was crazy and would never work. And then I should do e-commerce. And then now I'm doing a on-demand uh, services and everyone thinks I should have B2B SaaS. So I'm, I'm like a cycle off. It feels yep. feel, feels like. 
But that's that's what we call innovation, Chris. Works right out on the edge there. Um, so if I look at Crunchbase, which is often wrong, it says you guys have raised north of a hundred million. Is that kind of directionally right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then one other quick question. So so you know um, so let's say I'm an Amazon seller and I've been selling you know uh, excess inventory of shoes. That's not really what you're going for, right? You're looking at more kind of nascent brands so so kind of a direct consumer brand meaning they're manufacturing it and have come up with a product not reselling other people's products is that is that fair that's correct yeah as we as i as i alluded to earlier we are looking for winning products and brands as we define them i can tell you a little bit more about what that means to us but we want something that we think is defensible for the medium term um and i I don't believe that competing for the buy box in a reseller arrangement is defensible. And even if you have an exclusive reseller arrangement, still that comes up for renewal, right? I don't know if it's annually, every three years, but if we're paying a multiple of earnings, we want to believe if we pay three times um, annual SDE, we want to believe that we can get at least six years, uh, if not more out of that. Um, And so the way that we think that is most likely is you have a trademark, you have a brand, you have brand, you have brand registry with Amazon, and then on top of that, you are winning within your niche. So you have your top of organic search, you have great ratings and reviews, a low return rate, profitable unit economics consistently. Right? We realize sometimes you have to do lightning deals or other such things to drive some volume through organic ranking. But if you are running you know, 25% tacos, that generally is consistent. We want to see strong organic performance, um, and really, you know, the, the rating and review mode and the return rate and satisfaction and NCX stuff is really, really important to us because that shows that the customers are speeding, right? They're telling um, you and everybody else that this is a quality product, and uh, and they're willing to share that with their you know with their quote air quote friends, um, you know, with others by writing a review for you. Uh, got it. And I realized as you were talking, I failed to ask um, if there's a geographic focus. Like we we joked a little bit about Brexit. Are you everywhere Amazon is? Are you primarily in Europe and the U.S. or what's the? Yeah, today we do North America. So we do um, in the U.S. And as you guys know, mostly, you know, 95 percent or plus uh, U.S. And then we do PanEU and U.K. In terms of selling geos. We have purchased businesses from sellers pretty globally. Um, you know, maybe forty or fifty percent in the U.S. You know, forty percent in Western Europe, and then you know, twenty percent in Eastern Europe. Um, and so, you know, given it doesn't matter where the seller is, uh, it matters if they have a great product and have the attributes that we look for. But even though it's it's been mildly amusing, that it's uh, you know, even the sellers in Eastern Europe. Oftentimes, they're only selling on .com in the U.S. That's Yeah. And then um, any – so I imagine when I look at these kind of nascent brands, they do tend to cluster in like CPG, so like health and beauty, um, supplements. Is that – are those kind of the, the category hunting grounds that, that you, you you tend to focus on? We have a little bit of a broader focus, but you're right um, in that that's where a lot of the sellers end up. So 
because of another part of our of our company's thesis is that the barriers to entry have come way down. If you Google launching a product on Amazon, you'll find videos that say, make sure you have at least $1,000 in the bank to launch a new product on Amazon, which is amazing. You know, For all the bad rap that Amazon gets, they have been one of the largest drivers of entrepreneurship ever. Um, they've created millions of opportunities for people who previously didn't have opportunities. 10 years ago, if you wanted to launch a new consumer product in health and beauty or housewares, you probably needed fifty to a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. You you probably have to buy a full container load from an Asian manufacturer. You'd have to find some some distribution and give them all sorts of your margin. Um, and so it's been it's really amazing what they've been able to do. Um, but we uh, we used to be, despite the fact that the barriers to entry have come down, which is enabling all these people to launch products, it's still really hard to launch a great product. We, you know, we've found some research. Procter and Gamble still has a 97% fail rate on new product launches. The entrepreneurs we talk to also have a 95 to 99% fail rate on new product launches. You will launch 20 products and one will be 95% of their revenue. And so in general, a big part of what we think is that it's really hard to launch new products and cross that chasm to be a winning product, winning your, in your niche, having, you know, you don't have to be the number one market share, but you have to have a leading market share position. And um, and so coupled with that is we uh, we stay away from launching meaningful brand extensions with new products, right? So we look for people to cross that chasm and have that product market fit and are really working with their customers. Um, and that's uh, that's an important part of our thesis. Okay. And then um, so a company I started is called Channel Advisor, and our our theory is if you can do. X on Amazon, you can do uh, Y, where Y is about the size of X off Amazon. Is there, do you, do you actually help these brands? So, so, so Amazon's kind of like, all right, you've proven yourself, you've, you've product market fit, you're getting good reviews. Um, is there a strategy to also start selling off Amazon? Um, yeah, there is. Yeah, we're, we're starting to experiment with a couple of other channels. Um, Walmart being near the top of the list, um, we don't have, Anything that we think would be a perfect fit for Wayfair yet, but obviously uh, Wayfair is near and dear to my heart. Um, so any any other marketplace channel, as you as you just said, Y is never as big as X, and so we're trying to figure out the right resourcing um, to actually do that the way that we want to. Which is a big part of what we're building is a technology platform that we can run these products across platforms and across geos. Um, without a ton of humans, right? And so if we can, you know, mm-hmm. as you guys may know, you can control almost everything about Amazon through your APIs. You can control your your photography, your uh, your merch, your copy, your price, your ad spend. Um, you can download a bunch of data and you can get your visibility without even logging into Seller Central. And so um, we're, we're building that and we built a lot of those pieces for Amazon to build those th- same things, for example, for Walmart costs about the same from a technology investment perspective and um you know the, the return for that investment isn't quite as high so what we're doing now is a little bit more uh i'd call it skunk works you know, were uh, walmart's actually been coming after us and they're they're obviously investing in the marketplace and so they're working with us and giving us some um uh you know i don't know i would say thumb on the scale but they're kind of helping us with some launch cadence and some advertising and just some support uh, to get us to list some of our place. 
until we're taking them up on that, we're going to see how it goes. Right? And if it ends up being smaller than expected, then um, then we'll focus where the money is and end up going better than expected. Um, then we'll do that. But other things we're doing is you know we're getting some of these brands have actually some some loyalty and customer lists, and so we're working to monetize those. Right? And how do we leverage social and leverage email? Drive traffic either back to Amazon, right, to drive that organic ranking and get those sales, or to their own sites and um, drive, you know save a little bit on the um, on the sales fee when you drive it to your own site. But then you deal with you know fulfillment and returns and all you know and collecting and remitting state sales tax and all that kind of thing. So um, depending on the size of that business and brand, um, with the varies. Um, yeah, so we're looking at uh, multiple channels. Um, as well as, as good growth happenings. But it's tough. I, you know, it, it's easy to, to hate on Amazon, but it's also where all the dollars are. And so we're trying to balance, uh, you know, a, a thoughtful multi-channel strategy with also focusing on the payments. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Uh, you you alluded to some of the, the tools and automation that you guys have put in place. I imagine that is one of the synergies that you get uh by uh, acquiring multiple of these companies, like are there are there other synergies or, or advantages you you perceive that you're getting by aggregating a bunch of these guys, or is it is it really just a smart investment portfolio strategy? Yeah, there absolutely are. We, um, I think you're right that that it's possible perhaps to do a smart investment strategy, smart investment portfolio approach here. I think others are. I really. Them focus um, on building what I think could be, you know, a competitor to Procter and Gamble and Unilever and others in the future. And I think we can, you know, micro brands are taking share pretty meaningfully from large brands, um, and and they're doing that despite all of these challenges that we talked about earlier, right? Despite not having access to capital, despite not being in other markets and other channels, Amazon's third party marketplace is twice as big as the biggest CPG company in the world, and it's growing more than twice as fast. But the fastest growing, which is not the biggest. And so micro brands are taking all this share despite their handicaps. And we want to accelerate that and build a really amazing operating company that is helping these great, amazing products of brands go to the next level. Um, and so, so yeah, so some of the examples um, today are, you know, on the manufacturing side, working with manufacturers, both on cost and terms. Um, and that is every manufacturer is different, and what we can get there is different with every with every relationship. But the capability of being able to do that well is common across. Same thing with inbound. Um, you know, uh, from our Wayfair relationships, we actually have a great relationship with Customs Broker, so we're now consolidating all of our inbound on the full containers, um, and we're getting uh, meaningful rate reductions um, by driving volume through a single source. And luckily, you know, I'd say. 75-ish percent of our stuff all comes through Shenzhen. Um, and so that it was a, you know, not necessarily on purpose, but it's been a nice tailwind to that, to the ability to consolidate those containers. And then, yeah, like you talked about on, on the top line side, as we are building our approach to ad optimization, pricing optimization, we don't price and advertise every brand the same, but we create what we call archetypes and we have different product archetypes and, um, and we treat those archetypes somewhere. Like, for example, you can imagine there are really price competitive categories where the key there is to monitor your competitors' prices in real time and react in real time so that you're always one of the best price 
items there and then drive as much cost out of the supply chain as you can to keep your margins. And then there's other items, which is actually probably, you know, I'd say 70 plus percent of our portfolio are items we call aspirational, where we're priced maybe 15 or 30 percent more than most of our competitors. But we have a review mode and we have uh, great photography and great merchandising. And there it's more about understanding what drives people to buy. Are we holding share? Are we, you know, there we kind of invest more in um, in SEM and, and kind of ads, PPC ads, because we find that when you're more expensive, that the branding, you're seeing your image on that first page several times, uh, actually matters to customers. They perceive quality when they see something uh, over and over again. And so we manage that without cannibalizing too many of our organic sales. And so a lot of those kind of pieces of technology, but also approaches and thought processes are common. And then, as I, as I mentioned earlier, most of these brands are not in more than one geography. And so we have a team that's solely focused on translating um, ASINs, getting, you know, the copy, um, you know, getting, as you guys talked about, getting things into Europe and now into the UK is, uh, is its own challenge. And so getting it over there, getting it listed, going through launch kids, um, getting them ranked and driving um, sales is um, is not the same for every product, but is similar, right? It's a similar launch cadence and uh, an approach across those. So in general, a lot of focus on how do we make these the best brands and the best product and how do we grow them like wildfire. Uh, I love it. I'm I'm curious, is there a, a common pattern like, like when you do acquisitions, do do most of them tend to be have the same strengths and weaknesses, or or is it all across the board? Like, do you acquire one company that's that's uh, great at ad optimization, and maybe you know could use some help with price optimization, and then the next acquisition is uh, the the reciprocal of that, or or do the, you know do most of the entrepreneurs on Amazon tend to have the same strengths and weaknesses? No, it is all over the board. It's actually, it's, I think I mentioned, so one of my favorite parts of this job is meeting these entrepreneurs and hearing their stories, but then also getting into their business with them and seeing what they've built. Um, we find it's, it's, it's great. I feel like every business we learn something, we're always open to the idea that we don't do it the best. You know, we're learning and not even, even if we were the best today, everything's changing so quickly. Amazon's changing. These, you know, these millions of entrepreneurs are innovating so quickly that even if we were somehow the best for one day, next day, somebody can think of something they thought of. So we're always talking to them, always trying to learn. So I would say every acquisition, learn something. Um, and every acquisition, there's a number of things where we uh, feel like we have a better model right out the gate. And it varies a lot. It's really interesting. Some people are super cost-focused and have a really tight supply chain and cost profile. And either good margin or they price them down and they're driving a lot of sales through, through price point. And others are 100% focused on, we've, we've acquired a couple of companies that were just amazing at social and engaging customers and driving all sorts of off platform organic traffic on the Amazon and, uh, and using that to drive both sales, but also the, as you guys probably know, net, you know, halo effect. Amazon really likes external traffic coming on and finding your product and buying it. And so that was a really neat one to one um, coordinate all of that. And they, all these people do this in amazingly scrappy ways. You know, nobody's paying somebody 25 grand a month to go and create a social campaign. They, you know, they, they figure out ways to, um, to do that part-time VA offshore 
and uh, and find ways to recycle content or create new content in cheaper ways. And so it's it's really interesting. It's a lot of fun to see all these things and then incorporate outside portfolio. Yeah, on the uh, back on the synergy side, it seems like a lot of the examples are supply chain, meaning kind of like what I would call back end kind of stuff. Maybe a little bit front end with like you know, the Amazon optimization. But do you envision a day where where you guys will either have some cross selling amongst your brands, or even like a front door where you know people can come in and shop the the perch collection, uh, you know, for lack of a better better word. Yeah, absolutely. This is something we talk about and think about quite a bit. We today, for the most part, today um, most of our brands are brands and products, and they are found. You know, they're discovered on Amazon through keyword searches, and um, and we are able to drive. Um, usually upside post-acquisition on that side of just optimizing your know, keyword strategy and getting more ranking on more keywords and also uh, globally across Amazon. Um, but we are talking about um, how we, one, leverage already engaged customers. So the email list that we acquire, the social engagement that we acquire, um, and then eventually how do we start driving customers to... You know, we, we, we started outline a view of what we're calling master brands. And so I don't know, and this is all in development. You guys are getting a peek behind the curtain here. So we haven't figured all this out, but all right. I we like to call that a Jason and Scott exclusive. There you go. Yeah. You're getting the scoop yeah. here. So yeah. <laughs> um, my current hypothesis is I don't think that Perch is going to be a super consumer facing brand by itself because the collection of things we have underneath it is so broad today. Um, you asked earlier about where we're focused and um, you know, it's we're. We're focused where the great products are, but in general, it's it's pretty spread out. We have apparel brands, we have sports and outdoor brands, we have houseware brands, beauty brands, um, and uh, and we've been. I don't know if there's a cohesive customer story around all of those, and so where we're landing instantly is creating master brands by portfolio, by by product or category, and so we'll have a collection of beauty brands, and we believe if we have you know amazing you know, facial products and skincare products and, you know, hair care products and, and other things. In general, if you buy one of our things, the odds that we can email you or connect with you on social and suggest another one in a similar adjacent space like that, the odds that you'll be interested and engage and maybe convert are high. If you purchase our skincare products and we then email you about soccer balls or, um, you know, a punching bag or something like you know, camping. Um, right, it feels a little bit disconnected, and so we're um, yeah. we're still we're still iterating on it, but we're we've started to sensitively this idea of master brands by product category and driving on the way. And the idea is to keep the sub brands. And so the way I've described it um, to a, a few people is I don't know if you guys have ever been in a Sephora, but Sephora has a brand. Right, people know Sephora. It's a store. You go into the store, but if you've ever been in one. It's actually a collection of micro brands. And they have the section over here that's the woman in Brooklyn who makes her own eyeshadow. This section over here are the makeups, uh, kind of like lipstick from a woman in you know, Brazil. Who, um, and so so that's the idea is to really keep the brand identity because there's a lot of value in what these entrepreneurs have built. and um, but, but build on it and create this trusted umbrella where people know that all of the brands within this umbrella are quality and have been vetted. Um, also that we stand behind them, right? We'll have great customer service and a good return policy. 
Yeah, I've seen some of our customers almost like self-form around personas too. So they'll be like, you know, the busy traveler and, you know, one seller will pick up a bunch of travelers and then there'll be kind of a theme across that um, or, you know, like, you know, busy moms. And then you can actually get broader category expansion because it could be stuff for the car, stuff for the kids, some beauty, you know, stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how you, how you figure out those cross pollination uh, opportunities. The um, one I know we're going to get this question, so I'll go ahead and ask it uh, as quickly as I can here. Um, if someone is interested in talking to you about selling their Amazon business, um, you know, uh, can we have your home phone number? Or, or <laughs> I guess I should say, uh, what what is the best path? Is there like, can you go to perch uh, your website and just kind of like apply, or do you guys kind of have to seek folks out? No, absolutely. We love we get. Um, I've actually pulled this up. We have not had a single day in the last 90 days. We haven't gotten one inbound. We, we, we haven't gotten at least one inbound interest. So we've never had a zero inbound day on our website. So our website is perchhq.com. So you're welcome to go there and, uh, you can fill out our form. It comes for inboxes and somebody reach out to you or, you know, or just to get another Jason Scott exclusive, I'll give you my email address. And if people just want to email me directly, I'm happy. Uh, to direct you to the right folks. And that's just Chris at perchhq.com. And anybody who'd like can email me and I will connect you with the right person on our team to have an initial conversation. Um, and in general, we love talking to entrepreneurs in this space. We love talking to you about the process. And so I would encourage anybody, even if you're only mildly curious, if you if you don't have time for, for a 30-minute phone call, that's fine. Fill out our form on our site and we'll add you to our mailing list and we'll send you what we hope is a uh, helpful monthly newsletter that has thoughts on the sale process and Amazon broadly. But if you're also, if you want to talk to somebody and just get a sense of what does the process feel like and how do we value companies and things like that, shoot me a note and I'll connect you with our head of M&A and we'll, we gladly jump on the phone for 30 minutes and no pressure what we're looking for. And if it's not a match today, great, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Nice. And uh, I'll just try to save you a little bit of email traffic if um if you are focused on that busy traveler persona that Scott mentioned, probably don't bother to email. I'm just too, I'm, I'm kidding, but it's not maybe the best time for the busy traveler. Uh, uh, I, I am curious. Uh, we talked a little bit about your fundraising. Um, do you share anything publicly about like your 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 overall scales or uh, sales velocity or anything like that to kind of give us an idea of your order of magnitude? Um, we have not shared anything about our revenue publicly. We did share in December that we had acquired our 20th brand, and we have since then acquired a handful more. Um, and so we're um, moving quickly. Got it. And so would you say maybe then like five pharma packs? Is that where you are? No, I'm teasing. Sorry. Soon. And then maybe give us six months. <laughs> Cool. And then on the competitive set, so the ones in the U.S. I'm tracking is, uh, and I may get these names wrong. Uh, you probably don't care, but I apologize if they're listening. There's Goja or Goya, I guess. Um, and I think they're in Austin. And then Thrasio or Thrasio. Um, how, do, how do you guys um, think you differ? And uh, I'm kind of curious, have you seen any bidding wars break out? There seems to be enough people kind of poking around here that maybe there's been some some auctions going on with some of the the bigger brands. Yeah, sure. It is it is very um, clearly getting a little bit more competitive over the last six or so months. 
I'd say when we first started, you know, we were mostly competing against um, SBA buyers. So people would get an SBA loan and go and try to buy one of these uh, businesses and run it as a lifestyle business was the most common profile we were up against. And um, and now uh, we do run up against... Actually, I don't think I've seen um, Gojo, at least not my name, um, against us. But we do see... Uh, I actually don't know if you pronounce it Thrasio or Thrasio, but um, we do see them uh, quite frequently. And we see a kind of a smattering of other folks. Um, and it is, it's getting a little bit more competitive. I think as you get some of these new entrants, a lot of them are hungry to make their first deal or a few deals. And so they're willing to stretch a little bit. Um, but we're, we're focused on doing what we do best, which is finding great entrepreneurs and uh, treating them well, working, being fair and transparent and, and thoughtful. Um, we know what we're doing. We've done this a lot. Um, we have a really good track record of the brands we've acquired performing really well. And um, it's a $300 billion marketplace. And so we are focused on building, like I said, a great lasting company. Um, how we differ, I mean, in the eyes of the entrepreneurs, um, at the end of the day, I think the most important thing we can do is treat them. And this is what I tell Nate, who's our head of M&A constantly, that they are our customers, right? Treat them with respect. They build something typically really amazing. And um, being fair and transparent and uh, thoughtful with them and taking good care of their brand will go a really long way. We still get a lot of our um, deals through referrals from prior sellers who say, you know, who, who maybe don't know about these competitors or don't have, have, haven't had the same experience with them, but had such a great experience with us. And they tell people they can call us if they're thinking about selling their business. And we think that referral base and that the word of us um, being good at what we do will get around. And, as well. And then on the, I also think, as I mentioned earlier, that we don't view ourselves as investors. We're not trying to take a private equity approach and just collect a bunch of assets. We're trying to build a real kind of amazing technology focused e-commerce company and uh, with the best products in the world. And we hope we can make a bunch of these household brand names. And I think over the medium term, that will prove out and we'll have, we'll have those brand names. And the goal there is then you know, the analogy I use is, you know, most tech entrepreneurs want to sell to Google, right? That's just, it's about, you get to tell your friends, Google bought my company and, and you know, you built something amazing or something like Google is going to pay up to buy your company. And I think if we build the right operating company, then that's what, what we can get to. You know, the brands that we own will be global names and they'll be really well known and it'll be known that they're part of our portfolio. And in the immediate term, as you said, it's a little bit competitive, but yeah, I think in a few years, the, uh, it's all going to come out in the wash. And I, I, you know, with the team we're building and the track record we're, we're building, I expect we'll be, we'll be there. And then it's no longer, you know, they're saying this and we're saying that, but the group will be in the pudding. Um, and that'll, um, one, make it easier for us to continue to buy brands because we'll, we'll, we can show that we can double and triple and 10x them over time. And two, hopefully it'll make us a buyer of choice because it's not just about the dollars. People actually care about their brand and want their brand to be in the hands of the company that's going to um, help it be the most successful it can be. You know, it's funny as, you, as you're talking, I'm, I, I can't help thinking there's a soundbite we play a lot on the show uh, uh, from Amazon. Uh, your, your margin is our opportunity. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and 
like I, I totally agree with you that Amazon has has been an amazing incubator for entrepreneurship and growth. And I, I you know, I, I it, it's a lot easier to write the negative stories than the positive stories. Um, but that being said, like, is there a risk like that you get too successful that this model bears out and then Amazon decides they want to play more directly in that model or or maybe even for some unrelated reason they change the search algorithm or or FBA or something else in a way that derogatorily affects your portfolio like is is there a concern about kind of Amazon as a single point of failure um yes absolutely there is right it's something that um i think about a lot i think though i mean there's a few things of what you said in there that are probably worth addressing the first one is is amazon going to try to take more of this profit pool yes absolutely right they're, they're definitely going. google's doing it right five years ago you maybe had two sponsored spots at the top of google search now it's half or two-thirds of the page is all sponsored and they have spells and all sorts of things and amazon has and will continue to do the same thing um, and that's where that's, you know, that, that, that will be something that is a challenge for us. But back to the point, I think it'll be less of a challenge for us than for the entrepreneur, right? If we have the right scale, if we can pull costs out of the supply chain to expand our margin, we have the best engine that's optimizing that's going to be organic. We are driving traffic off Amazon and connecting these customers off Amazon in a way that just frankly is almost impossible to do if you're writing million dollar revenue business um then it'll hit all of us but i but i expect we'll be best positioned to um to cope with it and to continue to grow and be successful in it and then to your other question i you know do we have actual like is amazon going to turn their evil eye on us and and smite us um you know we could you know we could be a 10 billion dollar company and they probably wouldn't notice right it's it's a 300 billion dollar marketplace i mean they would probably notice like they're not by any means but we wouldn't have any negotiating power with them right we would we'd still be just a tiny drop in their massive and so i think the odds that they view us as a threat anytime soon and, and try to mitigate us as a specific or you know thrasy or gojo or anybody like that i think is is pretty small and in a bunch of ways we're trying to help Amazon and accelerate the playbook. We, we are we're trying to buy great products. We're trying to keep them in stock. We're trying to drive costs out and give that cost back to the customer. If um, you know, if the customer is telling us they want, they're telling us they want higher quality, higher price products. We also we follow the data. But in general, we're trying to be a high quality seller. Stand behind our products. You know, we give you know we give full refunds if there's an issue, for example, right? You know, a lot of people don't or make Amazon deal with that. We we really are trying to build um, great, great company and great brands and products. And so in general, as we've networked our way to Amazon, they are seeking out good sellers. They've, they've created a little bit of a problem for themselves with all of their um, recruiting, uh, direct from China, especially manufacturers. And that there's been some good out of that, for sure, and that's some lower cost and like anchor direct and things like that make our successes. But they've also created a lot of, of bad sellers. And that you know, one of the, the top priorities, as I understand it, within the marketplace ecosystem today is weeding out and getting rid of bad sellers who are selling counterfeit items, bad items. And so we are the antithesis of that. And um, hopefully they should embrace that. Um, and then you know, if we keep doing that and we're a good seller and we diversify our channel over time and we're you know not all on Amazon. 
then I think one, hopefully we can find a way to get into a good, um, uh, you know, balance with Amazon and be, be a value partner to them and they're a good channel for us. And then two, it becomes less important over time as we connect with customers off Amazon. So yeah, it's, it's a risk and it's something we think about, but, um, it's hard to imagine that they, that they do something to us. And then, so one last point on that is they've also, you know, you brought, you guys probably know about this. They, by being such a boon for entrepreneurs, they have also created a bit of a political liability. You know, Bezos got called in front of Congress. There's antitrust legislation brewing in uh, the EU trying to push Amazon to separate their first party and third party business because the EU is saying you're competing with these entrepreneurs. Um, and you, you can't be and all this, you know, stuff about them stealing data. And so I actually think they am trying to do much aggressive here is hard. I think it's getting harder. They're, you know, by, as you said earlier, they're every, everywhere they were, there's opportunity. They're, they're sucking it up, which is great, but they're also quickly becoming big tech and people are getting afraid of big tech. The politicians are getting afraid of big tech. So I think they're going to tread lightly in this space for a while. Cool. Where do you, um, it's kind of fun to kind of play forward these things that I know it's in e-commerce. It's hard, but that's the, the fun part of this. Jason and I do an annual prediction show and it's a, uh, it's always uh, very humbling to, especially this year for me to see how that turns out. So, so if we kind of fast forward three to five years, you know, you guys are acquiring like sounds like about 20 ish brands a year. Maybe you, you can crank that up. So you've got hundreds of brands. Um, what, what do you, what's the end game? Do you just keep rolling or do you start like, like offering um, the, your own fulfillment offerings or something or like start kind of, you know, productizing almost like Amazon does some of the things you've built or where, where do you see things going? Yeah, we are aiming for being a consumer products company that owns um, at least a handful of household names. And so what I think that looks like in, and I don't know if that's five years away or, or a little bit longer, but what I think that looks like is we are selling multi-channel, right? So we're selling on Amazon, but we also have our site and we're selling through any other marketplace that is big enough to be meaningful. And maybe Walmart will be there. You know, Google is, is honestly feels like they're struggling a bit to get things off the ground, but they'll figure it out. Um, you know, Facebook and Instagram get stores off the ground. We'll be selling there, but whoever is meaningful in the space plus direct consumer will be doing that. Um, we'll likely be in brick and mortar, um, in some way and selling some of these products for that's still, even though we're in a pandemic now, that'll pop back to being 50% retail spend at least um, in a year or two, most likely. And um, and with all of that, right? So we'll have, we'll be using FBA most likely, but we'll also have our own fulfillment for our multi-channel. We'll also have likely a physical distribution um, network so that we can replenish uh, the stores because that's a different working capital and inventory model. And we'll be likely more global than just North. Uh, North America and EU, UK. So pushing into um, you know, South America, Eastern Europe, um, maybe some more Asian countries that will have to see, you know, products don't translate quite as well over there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the idea is we're kind of, we're, we're a multi-billion dollar company um, that you know, obviously isn't at the scale of somebody like Procter & Gamble yet, but is looking like they're on a path to having these household names. And the big difference being Key for e-commerce. And, and like I said, we'll have a brick and mortar strategy. We'll be doing that. But you, one of the things I talk about quite a lot that's different about us than traditional CPP 
this traditional CPG sets pricing annually, maybe quarterly if they're feeling really peppy. But um, and we set pricing sometimes hourly, right? We um, and uh, and same thing with ads and and things like that. And so we're building a really different tech platform and a really different process and approach to managing these brands that I think can accelerate the share gain that they're already are already experiencing. And if we can take that global and take that um, across channels. I think it can be a really powerful story, and I hope, you know, I hope we have, I hope we IPO. We're a publicly traded company, and um, and something that uh, can continue to grow in perpetuity. Yeah, maybe with a SPAC we can pull that into uh, October. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's becoming. I don't know if you guys have heard this. I've heard several investors say SPAC that. It's like it's becoming a verb. Uh, yeah. Wow. You could spack that, and then you could hope that a bunch of hedge funds uh, short you, so that you could get run up by the the Robin Hooders. There you go. I like it. I feel like we've mapped out your whole your whole growth strategy there. I like it. I'm taking notes, uh, Chris. I love that vision uh, for the future. I uh, um, I'll look forward to having you back on the show when you've achieved all of that. Um, but that's probably going to be a good place to leave it for today because it's happened again. We've used up all of our allotted time. Um, as always, if listeners have a comment or question, they're welcome to hit us up on our Facebook page or Twitter. Um, I will certainly uh, include your contact info in the show notes. And as always, uh, if folks enjoyed this episode, we sure would appreciate it if you jump on iTunes and write us that that five-star review before you sell your business to Chris. <laughs> Great. Thanks, guys. <laughs> really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Chris. We really appreciate it. Uh, this has been a hot topic, and you did a great job of walking us through it. We, we truly appreciate it. Awesome. Looking forward to talking again soon. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 